So Luke chapter 3, verses 1 through 6. In the fifteenth year of the rule of the emperor Tiberius, when Pontius Pilate was governor over Judea, and Herod was the governor over Galilee, his brother Philip was ruler over Ituria and Trachonitis, and Licinius was ruler over Abilene. During the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, God's word didn't go to any of those powerful men. <laughs> so this starts with, who's the emperor? Tiberius. Who's the governor? Pontius Pilate. Who's the ruler? Herod. Who were the high priests? Annas and Caiaphas. And the word of God didn't go to a darn one of them. No. God's word came to John, son of Zechariah, in the White House? Nope. In the temple? Nope. Uh, in the courthouse, maybe? Nope. In the wilderness. The Word of God came to John, a nobody from nowhere in the wilderness. John went throughout the region of the Jordan River calling for people to be baptized to show that they were changing their hearts and lives and wanted God to forgive their sins. This is just as it was written in the scrolls of the words of Isaiah the prophet. A voice crying out in the wilderness, prepare the way for the Lord. Make his path straight. Every valley will be filled and every mountain and hill will be leveled. The crooked will be made straight and the rough places made smooth. All humanity will see God's salvation. Praise the Lord. So in the midst of all these powers and principalities, in the midst of all these men with power and significance, the word of God comes to John the Baptist in the wilderness. And John's an interesting figure. Several of the Gospels start with John's birth, and John's journey before Jesus' birth and Jesus' journey. John's born first. He and Jesus are actually cousins. And John is significant because John is a prophet who is calling people to repentance and trying to prepare and make way for the coming of the Messiah. But here's what's interesting. People really thought John was the Messiah. He has to continually say things like, no, 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 no. I'm not the Messiah. One will come after me whose sandals I am not willing to wash or to tie. He didn't have to do this, right? I mean, John the Baptist could have been like, maybe I am the Messiah. Maybe, maybe I am the chosen one of God. People seem to think so. I could gain lots of power if I claimed to be so. But John recognizes his role and his place is not as the Messiah, but as one that prepares the way for the Messiah. And John hands that role, I would argue God hands that role, to each of us. Each of us as Christians now, we are here to make right, make way, make the crooked path straight, prepare the way for the Lord, because we believe in a second coming. We believe that we are in anticipation and waiting for God to come a second time, right? Advent, we remember when the Jews were waiting for 
Jesus to come the first time. They were waiting for the Messiah to deliver them the first time, and they were hopeful and in anticipation. And here we are now waiting for that second coming in the same place of waiting and anticipation. We, like John the Baptist, are to prepare the way of the Lord. Here's what I want you to think about as we move through the sermon. What in the world does that mean? How does Joe Bankard prepare the way for the coming of the Lord? How does Dre Campbell, how does Jenny Hurst, right? How does Jackie Hiring, how do we prepare the way? What would that look like and how, would that, how might that be connected to hope? I love the power structure of Scripture. It starts by listing all these powerful men. And then it is the man with no power, who's a weirdo, who wears camel hair, which I can only imagine is totally itchy. I can't imagine the chafing that's occurring there. He's eating locusts and honey, right? So he's like a bug eater wearing camel hair. I imagine he got picked on pretty bad. Many considered him to potentially be one of the Essenes, this desert group who, who were like ascetic. I mean, they denied themselves much, lived in the desert, were very radical uh, followers of God, but certainly outcasts. So the word of God comes to this man, not the powerful, not the elite, but to the powerless, to those wandering in the wilderness. And why? Well, I'm guessing because John was listening for the voice of God. John was in the wilderness preparing his heart for the coming of the Lord, waiting on God to show up, to speak, to call, to provoke, to push, to move. And because he was waiting and preparing, he heard the voice of God and was able to live into that call. But this can be pretty difficult. I don't know if you're like me, but I can tell you that the powers and the principalities of this world feel really strong. The powers and the principalities feel like I couldn't possibly overcome them. I often feel something like this. What could I do to change this situation or to make it better? I don't think I could fix it. The problems seem too large. The issues seem too complicated. I have no power. I'm I'm just one person living in Boise. What could I possibly do? And I feel overwhelmed by the powers and the principalities. And I think to myself, I wonder what it must have felt like to live under the rule of Tiberius, not a great emperor. What must it have been like to be under the power of Herod, killing children? Or what would it be like to have religious leaders like Caiaphas, who later in the story, right, the religious leaders are the ones that betray Jesus, chant crucify him, hand him over to be killed by the authorities, right? What would it be like to be under those powers, those authorities? Must have felt daunting. You didn't even get a vote. Total powerlessness. And in the midst of that power structure, in the midst of that incredible injustice, in the midst of powers and principalities that seem to dictate reality, God speaks to a man wearing camel hair, eating bugs in the wilderness. And God uses this person to set us free, to prepare the way for the Lord. So I want you to think for a minute about the kinds of powers and principalities that dictate your reality. And this can be, these can be wide-ranging in our world. 
right? Powers and principalities like addiction. Powers and principalities like jobs we hate and feel like we have no power to control. Bad bosses. Powers and principalities like unhealthy relationships that we can't get out of. Cycles in relationships that we can't seem to break. Bad health. Poor mental health. Incredible anxiety, insecurity, and fear. Joe Biden, Donald Trump, the political system. Structures of racism, economic inequality, financial insecurity, joblessness or job insecurity. The powers and the principalities that seem to dictate our world, that control our reality, that make it so that we feel like what could we possibly do to make it different. I imagine that's what it must have felt like to be under Tiberius and Herod and Caiaphas. And somehow, the word of the Lord still shows up to this dude wearing camel hair in the desert. Make way for the coming of the Lord. Make every path straight. Raise up every valley and prepare the way. What would it look like to recognize the powers and principalities that seem to dictate my reality and that control me in ways I wish they didn't, and to not put my hope in being stronger than those powers and principalities. What if my hope wasn't in being more powerful than Herod? Good luck with that, John the Baptist. More powerful than Herod. What if I gave up on being more powerful than my addiction or more powerful than my job insecurity? What if I just gave up? I'm not going to be strong enough to control outcomes. I'll never be powerful enough to dictate how things go. I can't control most of what happens in my life. What if I gave up? What if I actually took steps towards my own powerlessness? Just acknowledging my own ineptitude. And instead, put the one chip I've got, my hope, in the coming of the Lord. If I put my hope in a God who promises to show up when I'm at the end of my rope, a God who promises hope in that we know how the story ends, no matter what it looks like right now, what if I just gave up being strong enough to control things and put my hope in God? A God who calls the weakest the least powerful, the most outcast, to be his voice piece, to be the one who, who channels God's voice. Jesus is not much different than John, a poor carpenter, not much to look at, no, no significance, no power, and transforms the world. He's willing to prepare the way for the God, for the Lord, to hear and to listen for God's voice and God's call in his heart, in his life, in the world. Just when I feel like maybe the powers and principalities of this world are, more, are stronger than God, God doesn't seem to show up, God doesn't seem to do what I want God to do, what I think God needs to do, just when I get to that place where I'm at the end, I remember something. I want you to remember it. The only reason we say the name Tiberius in 2020, the only reason we say the name Herod or Annas, or Caiaphas. The only reason we say those names at all is as a footnote 
in the life of Jesus Christ. We would never say their names. They would be forgotten in the annals of history, wiped clean from ever being mentioned again. They are mentioned because they are footnotes at the beginning of chapter 3 in the book of Luke, a footnote in the life of Jesus. A poor carpenter who taught us to love our enemies, to forgive seven times, 77 times. Jesus who said, if you want to be first, you must be last. If you want to lead, you have to serve. Can you imagine if we could tell Tiberius that? Or if we could tell Pontius Pilate that? Do you realize, Pontius Pilate, the only reason you'll be mentioned later on down the road, as powerful as you are, the only reason anyone will know your name is because of that poor carpenter that you executed, who taught us to love our enemies? I imagine they wouldn't be able to sleep for weeks. That kind of anxiety, the feeling like this power isn't what's going to make me be remembered. My status isn't what's going to make me be remembered. It's just me as a footnote in the life of Jesus. When I remember that, I think those people must have felt invincible, so powerful to, in the ancient world. And yet God topples them in the way God always topples things. With a little bit more hope and a little bit more joy and a little bit more love and a little bit more forgiveness. That's how we prepare the way of the Lord. We prepare the way of the Lord by living like Jesus. Hope is not an attitude. Hope is not positivity. Being optimistic is not the same as being hopeful. Hope is a verb. It's not just like how I feel inside. Hope is I live in hope. I have doubts and I do this anyway. I'm not sure this is going to work out, but I put my trust in God and I live like this anyway. It doesn't make any sense. This, this upside down kingdom seems crazy and I live into it anyway. The, hope looks like action. One of my favorite authors, Albert Camus, he writes novels, he writes philosophical works, he talks about the nature of human existence as being absurd. It doesn't make any sense. A good person gets cancer and dies. A horrid person lives to 100 years old, right? Random accidents like car accidents or falling off a roof in your ladder, right, can take someone's life uh, while someone might win the lottery and millions of dollars. It just, we, we try to have it have meaning and make sense, but it just doesn't want to do it. And Camus says, you know, when we face the randomness of the world, humans have several responses. We distract ourselves with our phones, going to the movies, watching Netflix, listening to music. I don't want to think about the meaninglessness of, of existence or the randomness of existence. But another way, Camus says, we ignore it is we hope. But for Camus, hope is an escape. We say, oh yeah, it's meaningless here, but someday in heaven it'll all make sense. And the moment we make that move, we hope as a kind of escape we remove ourselves from any responsibility right now. To live in hope now. To act in hope right now. We're now living into a future where God will just put everything right. I'm not talking about that kind of hope. I'm not talking about a hope that is an escape. I'm not talking about a hope that disembodies me from the world I live in right now. I'm talking about hope as a kind of revolt. The world is this way. The powers and principalities say it is this way. And hope makes me say a divine no. I will not live that way. And I will not live into those values. We will prepare the way of the Lord right now. Hope as a verb. 
I pray that you might be able to acknowledge the powers and principalities in your own life, the things that seem to dictate your reality that you can't break free from, your anger, right, your financial trouble, your poor health, and that you might recognize you are not powerful enough to control it and that you would relinquish that attempt and that your hope would be firmly placed in the person of Jesus and in preparing the way for His return. To do that means this season to slow down, to connect to God in very intentional ways. I pray that you might spend a little bit more time in prayer and in meditation and in mindfulness this season, that you might read a book of the Bible this season and engage Scripture deeply, maybe one of the Gospels, that you might engage in some Advent practices of taking time each night to light a candle, to think about what hope might look like in a time of hopelessness, to remember that the powers of this world are just a footnote in the story of Jesus and His love. So my prayer is that we would put hope into action as a community this day, this week, and this season. Will you join me? Let's pray. Lord, we're grateful that we don't have to be stronger than the powers of this world. That you will take our weirdness, our weakness, our brokenness, that if we hand that to you and put it at your feet, you will transform that into a kind of miraculous hope that will change the world. Hope the kind of power that can't be destroyed, overtaken or replaced. That we can live into a kind of hope that changes our heart from one of fear to one of trust. Amen. If you would please join our closing song.